0: Welcome to Licenciadas, a podcast from Latinas Uprising. I'm your host, Nubia Wilman, and today's guest is Jackie Mejia, a policy leader and advocate working in Los Angeles. Jackie talks to us about her policy work, first-gen struggles, and why she opted to not pursue a law degree. Oh, that's awesome. That. That's super cool. Yeah. I have to announce that there might be a meowing in the background, and that's my cat. <laughs> JaVant. Oh, it's okay. You might
1: hear my dogs, too.
0: So I, I put them outside,
1: so you, hopefully you won't be able to hear them, but you, same same. Yeah, so right? You it's like, like a you little can't.
0: whisper here and there. That's good to know. No, um, I want to welcome everyone to our first podcast, the Licenciadas, and I have our first guest, which is Jackie, who will be talking to us about all things policy. So I'm really excited. Jackie, do you want to just give yourself, uh, give a little introduction of yourself?
1: Sure. So my name is Jacqueline Mejia. I am from Los Angeles, born and raised. Um, I'm the first Latina in my family to go to college. Um, I got my bachelor's degree from Cal State Literary in Political Science, my master's degree in Public Policy and Administration from Cal State Long Beach, and um, currently I'm working at City Year Los Angeles as the External Affairs Director. It's
0: very exciting. So I met Jackie, we were like Instagram friends we've met now in person once and hoping eventually she'll relocate here to Chicago. But what I thought was really interesting, one of the reasons why... I wanted to have this conversation with you first. Was that not only do you have such a uh, deep policy background, and I know many readers are so interested in learning like the difference between policy and law, and whether one complements the other, but also I think just as important is that you're actually not an attorney. You d- you thought about it, and then you decided it wasn't for you. And I really want to get into that conversation um, about what that means. So, but before we get there, I think right now you mentioned your current role is that you're with uh, City Year and then before that where were you?
1: So before that I was with LA Care which is basically LA County's health plan Um, and most of the work that I did was um, project and program management and then previous to that I was doing uh, policy and advocacy work for CHIDLA which is the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights Mm -hmm. um, which is also a national immigrant rights organization.
0: Yeah so that I like that history because I'm thinking of like now that I'm in in local government too and doing policy, which is still so bizarre to me. uh, Can you explain to us what is policy? Like, what what is the nitty gritty of it? Sure. So I guess the the importance
1: of policy, right, is um, the work that our legislators do at our local, state, and federal levels of what basically our day to day looks like, from trash to something as as minuscule as our trash. To immigration policies, to healthcare policies, and it's really like what we abide by on a daily basis. Um, oftentimes, things that we don't even know about that are happening and how we govern um, is done through policy.
0: Yes, no, I think that's such an important part because we don't, th- it's like, it's just, we lose the forest for the trees, right, in our day-to-day life, and we don't think about yep. how people picking up our trash is part of the, it's a policy decision, and so when we talk about who gets to make these decisions, uh, though you were in the immigration sphere, but I'm curious, when you were in these other, like, rooms where decisions were being made, were there many other Latinas? So, no, there was not. So, uh, honestly, being in Los Angeles, I will say that
1: um, I am sometimes often in the room with more people of color so a lot more black and brown folks but in other spheres and depending on what the issue is Mm -hmm. um, it it does not look like that so um, it's funny when we talk about trash Mm -hmm. definitely those spaces do not look like that at all but when we talk about like immigration I do see uh, more Latinas uh, that are at the table Uh, But it really just depends. And I think Los Angeles is a very unique um, space just because um, we are like in a bubble here where we do have a lot more people of color who are um, at the table, but I know in other spaces, like I just recently went to Chicago and meeting people in Chicago, it's not always the case. So um, through my work and and traveling and meeting different people, I've noticed that um, that's not always the case.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. I think... Obviously, we lean towards things that we're passionate about. And at this moment in yep. time, immigration is just so pressing for so many people, which is great. But then I think about things like climate change, which impacts our communities, um, yeah, the quality of life of different, you know, different policy decisions. And yeah, we're not always at the table. So it's so important just to think about just any position can be a position of power. But before I get too preachy, <laughs> let yeah. me ask you, because you are in California, and I feel like that's a progressive dream. Okay. So, at one point in time, you were new in your career. So, would you go over? Were, was there any point in time when you were when you started working professionally where you faced barriers as a young woman of color? What were they, and what were things that you did to address them?
1: Absolutely. So um, when I actually, I'm going to talk about my time at Chidla. So I, I did policy work um, at Chidla before my official role and title into policy and advocacy. Um, before that, I did a little bit of mental health advocacy work um, for another uh, organization in Los Angeles. But I feel like deep diving into what is policy and advocacy really happened when I became a policy advocate at Chidla. And um, when I first started, I had... Um, Deep rooted connections in the community. I knew a lot of people's power just because of um, networking events and just putting myself out there and getting to know people. However, in the spaces that I was going into, even though it was fully totally immigration, immigration touches so many different topics. So we're talking about um, from social justice to economic justice. So we're thinking about like minimum wage, um, health care affordable housing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of these different spaces that all touch and intersect immigration but a lot of people didn't know who i was so i was like 23 um new to the game of policy and advocacy and nobody really knew me in those spaces oftentimes i had to work with labor um, so sometimes i i love my labor brothers and sisters but there is a territory when it comes to what policies are being passed and who's getting credit for it. Mm -hmm. So when I was, you know, new to these spaces, um, it was kind of like, if I could keep it real, like who the hell is this girl coming in here and what do you want? (laughs) So um, I think that a lot of that work very much looked like heavy relationship building, mm. people getting to know who I was, getting to know what my intentions were, getting to know where I came from, um, what my core beliefs were, along with the organization. I think at that point, Chitla was already a well-established uh, organization on the national level and as well as the state level, but locally was a player that wasn't as present physically in a lot of uh, policy development and advocacy. So a lot of that work was me showing up to meetings, um, talking to people, grabbing coffee with them, getting to know them, um, and talking about where I was coming from and the organization and what their priorities were and what we were hoping to gain. And not only that, what I could bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that back work um, that has led to my success in policy and advocacy um, through relationship building.
0: And did you find it, I mean, when you were interacting with people who weren't Latino, Did you find it difficult to connect? What were some of the things that you did? Because I remember when I would start networking with other attorneys, obviously they were mostly white, mostly men. They were rich. Uh (laughs) All the things I wasn't. Uh, And it can be really awkward and uncomfortable. Or sometimes the other side doesn't necessarily want to connect with you. Yeah. yeah, What are your tricks and
1: Yeah, so I think that for me, yeah, you're right. And I, at 23... I looked a lot younger than mm-hmm. what I was. Um, so a lot of people associated the way I looked with inexperience. Sure. Maybe I don't know people. Um, thankfully, I think the advantage that I had was that um, because of my networking skills, I already mm-hmm. knew a lot of people in local government. Okay. I had already established a lot of relationships. So uh, when I would speak, there were people who would just turn a blind eye and, okay, like, what does this young 23-year-old know anything about this world of politics and advocacy and policy? Uh, but it wasn't until the real work started in certain spaces where I was able to deliver that I kind of got that credibility. Um, I don't know if that makes
0: mm, yeah. that
1: helps answer the question, but that's, that's where I was able to kind of shine and, and get that we call street cred like okay we need a meeting with this council member and everybody was like oh I don't know anybody in that office." Or let's strategize on how we're gonna do that and for me it was like and that's when I took the liberty to speak up and, and talk about what I thought my strategy would be and how I thought the group could go and it wasn't until people started hearing me speak about what I thought that people kind of started giving me that respect So if if I had advice to give to anybody who was new in the space, who was young and um, just ready to go, is don't be afraid to speak up at the table. Don't be afraid to share your ideas. Um, Because as a new, young, energetic, innovative person who is always working and thinking through ways to reinvent themselves, that is something that is so priceless. And I would just encourage everybody, like, if you're there, don't be afraid to speak up. That is the most important thing, I think, that um, as being a Latina, as being a young person and someone new at the table, I think that's probably the most important thing that I brought.
0: That's. I think that's such an important point because I've even had moments, most recently, where I'm literally, like, having an internal monologue with myself where I say, what's the point of you sitting here if you're not going to speak up and say something, yeah. even though it's just, like, it would be so easy to just, like, not say anything, you know what I mean? Okay. And so... What are some ways? Because that takes—that that takes courage to be able to speak either truth to power or to push back against someone. Or if people are upset and saying something, and you have to have that dialogue. Um, but it takes, I think, courage in your own um, and, and confidence in or in your own self and your abilities. And we talk a lot about that imposter syndrome and whether we're capable. And obviously, you have such an established career, and I think. You know, we're at a point where we're just—we know our weaknesses and we know our strengths, um, mm-hmm. and that takes time to develop. But when you were new, what was it that was giving you that courage to speak up and build those relationships?
1: I think it was just knowing that I was in tune with what the need was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So understanding my community, understanding the day-to-day lives of and what the struggles were. Mm -hmm. whether it was for increasing the minimum wage and why I thought that was important. I think just connecting back to uh, my roots and understanding, like... What's gonna, what The reason why I am here is because I am supposed to. I have mm. taken that responsibility yeah. upon myself to be the voice and to not only be the voice, I would say to highlight the voice of folks who are not able to sit at this table because they're working two or three jobs, because they're taking care of their children, because they're trying to make ends meet. So I have the privilege to sit at this table, and it's through my due diligence that I'm going to speak up and say what I think my truth is and how I think I can contribute to make this better.
0: That's great. Yeah, no, I I, I love that. And I think that is, again, we we gravitate so much to what we're passionate for, and I think being able to say, this is why I'm here. Absolutely, I think is one of the things that quells that imposter syndrome, um, at least in terms of our own worth and self-awareness. You mentioned, you know, knowing the struggles, obviously you are Latina, you come from that background. um, And we talk a lot about that disconnect that happens. You mentioned you were a first-generation college graduate. Sometimes, and I've noticed, you know, I don't, when no one else in my family has gone through the same things, you know, I've gone through through the education system, there is that disconnect of things that I'm going through that just no one else can relate to. And it can be lonely and it can be frustrating um, and sad for both parties. They, they can't really, like, give you that type of encouragement and, and motivation that you need. Have you noticed that? And, and if so, like, what have you worked on to kind of build a bridge between that disconnect with you and your family? So I
1: feel like um, I was very fortunate enough to have a mom who was very involved. So Mm -hmm. my my mom was born in the U.S. She was born in Los Angeles. She did not go to college, um, mm-hmm. but she worked in um, the Los Angeles Unified School District, which is our, you know, we're the mm-hmm. large, second largest school district in the nation. Um, and she worked for a school. So my mom was very informed about public education. I received a public education. Um, and she worked the system to find the best school for us to go to in our area. Mm-hmm. Um not everybody is lucky enough to have a parent who's, who's as resourceful as her yeah. because they may not have the time or they might not be able to navigate the system because our systems are set up in a way where they're not meant for people to navigate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think she understood very early on the importance of going to college, even though, you know, she didn't go to college, she instilled that in it. Us at a very young age. Um, I'm the young, I'm the oldest of three children, so it, you know the pressure was kind of on me. Yeah, to, you're, going to, you're going. to go to college. Yep. like this is it. I don't know how we're gonna do it. We'll figure it out. But you're going to college. Um, so thankfully I had the support of my mom in that way. Um, to where college was the only option. Mm-hmm. There was no other option. That was the mm-hmm. option. That yep. was the, That was it. Um, but as far as the challenge is, I think it was, um, being away from home, Mm -hmm. I think, and I was in the same state, um, I, I went to college about, maybe, like, 40 miles away from home, which wasn't far, um, but not being at home, that was a challenge, um, sometimes my mom understanding why I couldn't be home, that was a challenge, Mm -hmm. um, things like that, and, Luckily, um, I was part of the EOP program at my college, so um, I got to know other students of color, and we got to talk about you know a lot of those similar issues that we were facing, and I think that was a huge um, place kind of comfort for me where I can talk to my peers about what's going on This is these are my challenges and it made me feel like I'm not by myself yeah. there are other people facing these same challenges I was also fortunate enough to go to a school where uh, being like a California State University they were a lot of people of color and I know mm. some of my like, counterparts from high school went to let's say like Harvard or Georgetown or Brown where people didn't look like them and their struggle was definitely
0: different than mine yeah that's such an important point because I think we know, never really talk about selecting schools based on like diversity. <laughs> you know, cuz all schools like tout how diverse they are, uh, but it's so relative, right? Cuz you cuz I just think of my own college experience. I came from Indianapolis, which was not diverse at all. So coming to a college, it was like I was suddenly making friends with lots of people of color, which was completely different than my friend who lived in Texas. Who was used to being around Mexican Americans all the time and then coming to Northwest Indiana, it was a culture shock. So I think that's right. such an important thing to, like, finding a community for sure makes such a difference. One of the questions I want to ask you uh, is about self-care, right? Because these jobs are tough. Having a professional career is difficult. It's mentally, it can be emotionally challenging, but it's nothing compared to maybe the labor that a lot of our parents do or just having to work multiple jobs or just all the things that come with the struggles that they have. But what are are the things you do for self-care? And um, do you ever feel guilty about it?
1: Yeah, so self care. All right, (laughs) I uh, I definitely try my best to you know work out regularly. Mm. Um, I feel like it just makes me feel better. Um, uh, My sister and I—I don't—I don't don't know if we spoke about this the last time, but my sister and I and my mom—we all uh, a few years back started it. Actually, my sister's the one that started it. Nonprofit organization yes. we actually became a 501c3 mm-hmm. um last year and um this is this is also something that i do on my free time is um we collect we upcycle prom dresses for girls in los angeles county and we put on a huge event every year where girls who um, are not able to purchase a prom dress because they're so incredibly expensive mm-hmm. um we put on a big event for them working out to like this side project i um, just spending time with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to do that as much as possible between working. And, uh, but, yeah, those are probably the top three things that, that I do uh, for self-care.
0: That's awesome. I mean, it's so great to find that creative outlet and the fact that you're giving back is just so, so-, That's so great. And I think, so my next question, I think I know the answer, and the answer is probably because I don't need to be. But can you explain to us what you thought about, going to law school and becoming an attorney, and then you opted against it. Can you walk us through that decision? Yes.
1: So going to law school, uh, when I graduated from undergrad, you know, it's interesting because from what I could remember um, being a kid, I don't know, probably like eight years old, I told my mom, I want to be a lawyer Mm -hmm. when I grow up. And um, she had a a job before she worked at LAUSD. She worked with attorneys as she was, like, a secretary, and um, I remember meeting one of the attorneys and just thinking, like, oh, my gosh, he has an office, and, you know, yeah. he looks so busy, and he's wearing a suit, you know, this was a, a white man, actually, mm-hmm. um, amazing person, uh, to get away from him, but I, I thought, like, this is really cool, like, me not understanding anything about the law, what a lawyer is, <laughs> I, knew that. This is what I wanted. Um, and that's what I stuck with all through my teens, going into college, majored in poli. Mm-hmm. I actually double majored in poli science and studies. And um, I thought, like, well, this is what I want to do. So after undergrad, I started working. I didn't go to school, uh, back to school right away. I thought, like, you know what, I'm going to give myself a little bit of time. I'm going to work a little bit um, and then decide what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So when the time came, I was like, you know what, it's time. I'm going to sign up for my LSAT, I'm going to take my course, and I'm going to apply to law school. So, long story short, I took my course, did my LSAT, and then I kind of had a a time period where I was like, you know what, is this really what I want to do? At that point, I was already at Chidla. I was exposed to the legal department and all the amazing work that they were doing, but I I was also doing advocacy work at the same time and was like, okay... I'm doing advocacy work. I'm absolutely in love with advocacy work. I had, at that time, some really big wins, increasing the minimum wage with wage, wage theft vision, mm-hmm. um, traffic license bill for a folks in California, health care policy, um, legalizing street funding in Los Angeles. Just so much experience and seeing the change that I was making and or being a part of, like, creating change in people's lives in their everyday lives. And I felt like, I love this this is for me, mm. this is my passion, this is my calling. And I've been talking to a lot of my friends at Chitla who are attorneys who are Latinas mm-hmm. and asked them about what their everyday look like. Like, what do you do every day? You know, do you like what you do? Um, is it meeting with clients? Is it, you know, the contract part? Like, what what is it about your day that excites you? Yeah. And I think because I was able to make those connections and ask those questions, they kind of made it just clear for me that I realized that I was wanting to be an attorney for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be an attorney because I wanted the letter JD behind my name. Mm -hmm. And the reality was, was that that's not what excited me. Mm -hmm. Hearing about their day and what they did, totally not discounting anything that they do, but it just didn't fit what excited me. And I think finding that and realizing that Um, It was clear, like, yes, I invested money into this, but, you know, if I know now that this calling is not for me, I need to follow my heart, and I need to follow my intuition and trust myself, Mm and
0: that's
1: why I decided to go get my master's in public policy and public administration.
0: That's so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing, because I often also think that going into law is a calling, Um, and I think it's important to say, like, these vocations that we have, they're all callings and the type of advocacy you're doing is so important and to know that the day-to-day of the legal work was just not going to be what cuts it for you and you're doing so much of what you wanted to do already is just so important. I think that goes to show the need for us to to further investigate why what's pulling us to the law um, and what is uh, maybe the alternatives that we can continue to help our communities in different ways. Um, yeah. And so, if I could just add, yeah, too, yeah. like if I could just really,
1: just really mm-hmm. quickly add, I would say if there's any advice that I would give on that, like if there's somebody who's struggling or thinking, like I think I want to do this, but I'm not sure about this, um, I would say like don't be afraid to reach out to somebody, even if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like we have so many outlets now. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have LinkedIn. Like if you come across somebody who is a Latina attorney or a Latina advocacy or policy person, like, don't be afraid. Send them a quick message and ask, like, I'm thinking, you know, I'm a Latina, or I am, you know, an African-American, or whoever you are. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about this field. I'm thinking about this career. I would love to, you know, speak to you if you have some time. And I will guarantee you, nine times out of ten, that person will get back to you and will make time. I, I want to believe that in my heart. Yeah. That people will definitely make the time. So if you are a young person or you're thinking about changing your career and you really want the real conversations on what that day today looks like so that you can then decide on if you think this is the right career path for you, do not be afraid to just send that email or that DM. Um, to that person and and ask for some time
0: to chat. Yeah. No, that's perfect advice. That was actually going to be my next question was how do you help people decipher what they want to do? But that's really, uh, I think, a perfect ending. Uh, as we're going on to our next stage and we're looking at, you know, what we want to do, like what do you think, you know, in the next five years, next ten years holds for you? What would you say if you look back you say, that was, that was time well spent for me? If in the
1: next five years, I am able to – Work on progressive policies that are going to help my community and just all communities of color. Um, I would say that was time well spent. Advocating on progressive policies um, with community, alongside community as a partner, and growing. I think that will that will be time well spent for me.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this and we'll see how this maiden voyage goes. But I think people will really, I I hope, uh, be intrigued by this uh, conversation, especially your career. I think, again... um, even in a, a progressive dream like California, it's not easy pushing these policies, um, especially for communities who are often overlooked. Um, so thank you for, number one, for being the advocate for our communities. And then thank you again for participating in this. I really appreciate it.
1: No problem. And I just want to add that if there are folks that want to talk about, you know, what their career could look like or if they have questions or um would like to chat at all? I'm definitely open. If you're in a different state and you're thinking about um, you're doing policy work and you're thinking about, you know, what are the strategies passing progressive policies? What can I do? What is California doing? Uh, please see me as a resource. I'm here um, to help in any way possible. And yeah, great. Okay, going
0: to Thank you for listening to this episode of Licenciadas. Make sure you like and subscribe and do us the favor of sharing with the hashtag Latinas in your life.